0: Graham Carter is an illustrator working on a diverse range of projects and across different media. Counted among clients for his work are Aviva, Booper, Ardman, Orange and Waterstones. His work can also be seen in editorial publications such as The New Scientist, The Guardian and The Sunday Times. In recent years, he's worked as a director with the animation studio TikTok Robot. One of Graham's ongoing projects is the poster design for Burning the Clocks, Brighton's Winter Solstice Festival, which brings light to the city on the darkest night of the year. Graham's first picture book, Alpha Moles, was published in 2017. Using the A to Z format, it features stunning screen prints of 26 animals with poems that were written to accompany the pictures. His first story picture book, Otto Blotter, Bird Spotter was published in 2019 and this is followed by the recently published The Story Thief. Both books have quirky fantasy settings which radiate warmth and celebrate the quiet observant child. Welcome to In the Reading
1: Corner, Graham. Thank you, thanks for having me.
0: Let's talk a little bit about, you're a printer but as I said in the introduction you've done lots of other things. Um, if you were to write about your occupation, would you describe yourself as a printer first and foremost or an illustrator?
1: It fluctuates, really, because several years ago, yeah, I would have said I'm an illustrator first and I kind of dabble in printmaking. Mm. But the illustration took a bit of a backseat about, well, I suppose, about 10 years ago now. And the printmaking became the thing that I did
0: i was reading um when i was looking into your background um about the because what fascinates me with printers is people who still do the whole process rather than try to create it digitally
1: yeah it's it's the craft that really excites me actually and it's um it's sort of combining the best of both worlds really because i you know there's a, a side of me that does love to sit at a computer and use the sort of latest technology to kind of come up with imagery. But um, at the the same time, there's something to be said for getting your hands dirty. And you also get those little times when you're not quite sure how the finished piece is going to come out. So you might use a different type of ink or just the, the way that one layer is laid on top of another layer. It creates something within the image that you didn't expect. So, yeah, as much as you can really plan things on the computer sometimes it's those little serendipitous things that happen that that make it exciting really Mm
0: -hmm. it would be really I mean I'm sure they've done this but to create an algorithm that just makes those serendipitous mistakes on the computer
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean it's crazy because I do sometimes fake that a little bit sometimes it the print can work too well and uh, you plan each l- layer to, to, to perfection and then you realise that, well, that could just be achieved on the computer. Uh, it doesn't have that handmade aesthetic to it. So you start to fake those little bleeding ink edges and little um, tears and things like that in the ink to give it that, that feel like it's been screen printed.
0: And did your 3D, you do these 3D works as well did that come out of the printing because that's also got a layered technique to it
1: yeah that's right um but a friend of mine had a piece of work sort of laser etched in, in, into the wood and, and then it was highly polished and it had a really great look to it and I just asked him how on earth he achieved that look and it just opened up this whole world like oh wow so you can You can etch into glass, you can cut wood, leather, you can etch into leather and things like that. And it's something that I do quite a lot, but then I always wonder why on earth I do it to myself because you Mm -hmm. just get, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, basically you get all these little wooden pieces cut out, which I've planned meticulously on how they're going to layer up and what colour they're going to be. So I have to spend days and days just painting all these little pieces and reassembling it realising where the mistakes are, then de it again and uh, painting a different colour, sometimes screen printing onto these wooden pieces. It's a bit of a process.
0: We're getting a sense of the person behind the uh, picture books that you make because it seems to me that you enjoy this process of uh, discovering new things. And the first one that I mentioned was Alpha Moles, which to me seems not such a fast step from... Screen printing, and a series of single screen prints to that book. The alphabet book's great, isn't it? Because it gives you a form to work from. It's a nice contained thing.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, the um, alphamals project was was a self initiated thing at first. I was aware that I was doing lots of different things: screen prints, chicle prints, commercial work, my own work, and it was all very bitty, and just wanted to set myself a. Like a little target of creating a body of work which was exactly the same style. It was the same sub, same subject. What better thing to do than a A to Z of some mm-hmm. animals? So yeah, it just it just seemed to fit really. It was it was the right time to do it, and it was probably about three or four years worth of work where I would sort of dip back into it every so often. And when I had the full collection, I did a solo show in Brighton. Mike Jolly, who used to be oh, yes. a Templar. He came to my show and he's always tried to get me to do a kid's book. (laughs) And I just kept saying, oh, I'm not sure if I've got the right idea, blah, blah, blah. And I said to him at the show, I'm not really sure what to do for a book. And he said, well, you've already done it. (laughs) And he pointed out these pieces on the wall and just said that that would make a great book.
0: Absolutely. For anybody that hasn't seen them, they're absolutely Beautiful. I've been looking at your website thinking, yeah, I'm gonna get some of these, but <laughs> decoration done death. Yeah. I'm gonna get some of these, but which to choose. Um a qual is an in- interesting one. I've not come across that before.
1: Yeah, it's always it's always the, the Q letter is always the one you kind of get stuck at and you think, yeah, you could do quail or something like that. But I hadn't heard of a qual. It's like a rats like creature that mm-hmm. I think it's Australian.
0: Anyways, beautiful and um, I, I love well, I love them all the fox, the jaguar. I'm very fond of vultures, it has to be said. I think they're really no interesting, very interesting, those raptor birds. So I'm going to keep looking. But we're going to move on to the storybooks now. And there are two of these. Uh, the first one was Otto Blotter, Bird Spotter, uh, which for listeners is about a young and inquisitive member of the Blotter family. And uh, the family spend their days watching birds from the comfort of their hide while young Otto goes off exploring. One day he follows the biggest set of footprints that you've ever seen, which leads him to the most extraordinary baby bird. The bird is extraordinary for a number of qualities. First of all, it keeps on growing and it has an amazing capacity to camouflage itself, which adds a lot of humour to the illustration. A particular favourite of mine is the improbability of trying to give this large baby bird a bath in the swimming pool uh, where the bird's height extends from the bottom of the pool to the top of the diving board. And you've got these oblivious swimmers swimming around and looking confused uh, in the soap. It's the story about getting the baby bird back to his parents and getting his own family Out into the wild Instead of huddled in their hide So that's quite a move From this single Prince Mm. to a narrative Text like this So perhaps give us a bit of the Background and how that came about
1: Yeah that was A huge learning curve really And it was Libby Hamilton from Anderson Press that's Just been sort of pestering me and pestering Me (laughs) To do a story and I went off to try and write something. Um I suppose because I'm not essentially a writer, I I approached the book from a slightly different angle and I I suppose to start with thought of it as a showcase for for what I do, which is illustration So I just try to think of things that I would like to draw. <laughs> you know, I might just draw a few spreads in my sketchbook thinking this would be nice to draw this character and this character and think of various scenarios that that character might actually be in that's gonna be fun to draw and I, th- I think perhaps when I showed Libby it, it was just a series of sort of images it had a maybe like a start in the middle not necessarily ending that was quite a hard bit trying to figure out how it all comes together but yeah it was a series of images and she was the one that was you know trying to get me to find the, the the heart of the story essentially and try and make it an engaging read and relatable and mm. things like that. Just a lot of things I have not really considered. So mm. like I say, it was, it, was, it was a bit of a learning curve.
0: It's really interesting because you didn't really approach this from, um, say, the point of view that somebody that possibly has been uh, creating picture books for some time Might have thought we've got thirty-two pages here. What does a thirty-two-page spread book look like, and what you know? What's the kind of rhythm and the pacing
1: Mm, through that story?
0: That kind of evolved for you, rather than starting in that more formulaic way, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I suppose as far as pacing and things like that goes, it's I'm I'm able to think of that in kind of visual terms and have okay. Let's have a double-page spread here. Let's have a single vignette here that's you know that's not give too much away here that's reveal that on the next spread and but yeah in terms of the story itself that was mm. quite a tricky thing and you know i have had to have quite quite a bit of handholding on these um, <laughs> on these first two books
0: but they loved um, it enough to come back for a second one so the second one is called the story thief and that's the story of a little girl called olive who lives in a quirky little town by the sea Uh, She loves her stories, as do the rest of the townspeople. But one day while out on a rowing trip with her dad, one of Olive's books falls overboard and there's a creature from the deep. We're later told that it's an octopus, but not at first. It's just a creature. Um, And it discovers the book and sets out to find more about why they create such joy. So the creature is the story thief of the title, and Olive is the little intrepid girl who goes, goes off to meet the creature on its home turf. I often think coming up with stories for second books is more challenging than the first book in some ways. So where did that come
1: from? Yeah, actually, this The Story Thief was actually the book I wanted to do first. Ah. <laughs> um, so that was the first idea. But the publisher didn't think it was the right one to release first, probably because it is so out there again this this story did change many times and took many forms um because originally it was meant to be more of an idea of this mysterious creature that was stealing stories that people tell um bus stop natter and playground chatter that sort of thing and it was so it was stealing all these speech bubbles and thought bubbles and it just kind of draining the town of all its color and I was probably quite rightly re- reined in on some of these ideas and it just, um, to make it more of a relatable thing, I think it was decided to make it based on books. And the original idea coming back, it was just um, when my boy, who's nine years old now, but he was probably about three or four at the time and he, he just used to find it funny when I was reading a book and he'd just run past and just steal that book and <laughs> run off down the hallway kind of giggling to himself. And that's all it was. That's what started the idea.
0: Can I ask you about the techniques that you use for creating the images for the picture books? Are you using print-based technology here or is it digital? Or
1: is it both? (laughs) It's a bit of both. Um, There was no screen printing involved in this. So Mm -hmm. I've often quite thought I maybe might like to do a screen printed book one day. even a book made of the wooden 3d pieces that i make so that might be quite a fun thing to do i like that hand-drawn quality to things but i was so used to work on the computer and i was quite quick at that that it is largely a kind of computer project but yeah in some cases i would print out flat sort of imagery and then i would draw on top of that and paint like for the main character i would draw Um, features and a bit of rough hair or something and then scan that back into the computer uh, to try and create that character.
0: One of the things that I did notice about both books is that there's a lot of movement in the images and there are pages where it's almost like looking at a film. There's so much more to a page than a page, if you see what I mean. It's almost like you can fit a number of pages or a number of happenings into one page Is something that that you were very conscious of at the planning stage or was there just a need to get more into uh, the space that you had available?
1: I think that's a bit of a hangover to my print work, really, where it's what people comment most about my work, I think, is when they buy a print and they'll say, oh, I've just noticed something else within it that I didn't notice before, even though they've had it on their wall for about five years. They've just noticed some hidden details. And that's just something that I like to do. I just find it quite hard to know when a picture is finished. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I just like to keep going back to it and adding little things. Oh, actually, wouldn't it be nice if you could see this in the background? And so I think that just kind of naturally happened. I don't like to put too much in. I, I think with some of these spreads, they did start out as a double page spread. And then for whatever reason, it was, it was decided, no, let's just make that a vignette or something instead Mm. so you get all this little detail which you might not even be able to actually see in the finished book because it's just been shrunk down so small
0: yeah that's why there's so much and so much um, and trails and things to follow as characters move through through a page as well so the um, page is often not just one set piece in time but several time a little bit like the animation maybe that you've worked on
1: well, yeah, I suppose it was a fun thing to do, and, and I've, I've sort of noticed that when I've been reading books to my my own children, that they like to sometimes follow, you know, like like a map almost. They 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 follow things through, uh, maybe trace a path with their finger or something as they're looking at a page. So with the Otto Blotto book, it was a huge double page spread where it's 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 like a map showing the path that this little boy's taken and the things he finds on the way.
0: It's good fun. It's all good fun. <laughs> Another thing that uh, struck me um, was the, in both books actually, was uh, the luminescent quality that they had, mm. the um, the twilights and the dusks. And then when I was uh, researching the sorts of things that you have done previously, I yeah. noticed that you'd done these posters for um, a festival, in Brighton for a number of years called Burning the Clocks, which is just, you know, that's all about that kind of lighting.
1: Fantastic event. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> it sounds amazing. Do you think that's influenced the imagery?
1: Yeah, it was just something that I'd always when I first started doing printmaking, I stumbled across this technique of giving something a bit of a glowing quality to it. Um so printing quite a dark but quite well lit image and then screen printing a lighter colour on top of that. Um, using kind of gloss inks, and it would create a bit of a glow. Yeah, so when I had these on display at one the, of the art fairs, you, you would have people that would have a real close look at the picture and try and trying to figure out how it was lit. And they sort of said, "Oh, is is there is there batteries in the back of the frame?" And I was like, "No, it's just <laughs> it's just ink." <laughs> and this is a technique I've always liked to explore.
0: It's absolutely fascinating to me that things like ink and paint you know with water that it can create the qualities of these things that you see around us i just find that endlessly fascinating
1: yeah i mean Um, i want to try and when i I do some some new 3d pieces i want to experiment with lights inside is that that's always been on the back burner as well just to layer things up using translucent materials that have been laser cut and to light it from the back and see how if they create shadows and you know just there's so much to explore there
0: Other things that I just found really interesting in your pictures uh, are the the world building side of it. I wondered where some of the mental imagery comes from for what feels like a world which is pre-technology and yet has not steampunk, but a bit Wallace and Gromit, (laughs) a bit Heath Robinson. You know, there seems to be an interest in... Almost the mechanical way in which things work, so I loved that, and I wondered where that came from.
1: You're, you're right to pick up on the steampunk thing. I mean, even though my work isn't really steampunk, but there's an aesthetic to it that could be traced to that, I suppose. um Definitely the Heath Robertson type look to it. I don't really know where that comes from. I've just always been a bit fascinated with the mechanical side of things, where you can see the workings so you can see the cogs, you can see the conveyor belts, you can get a real sense of a machine and the craftsmanship that goes into making a machine. And yeah, I've done various things where it's there's a puppet group that make these giant puppets. There was like a massive diver, you know, like a deep sea diver. There there was an there was an elephant. And that really inspired me and I did some screen prints based on that kind of thing where on first glance, you think there's just an elephant walking and there's a massive elephant with some tiny little people on it. But then you look closely, you can see the mechanical side of things and you can see it's actually a puppet.
0: And children love that. They're so interested in the way that you can make things happen. You know, give them a big sheet of paper and so many of them will try to do that kind of drawing where they're showing the workings of something. Absolutely. Which is uh, great. I was also struck by, you know, the natural world. You talked about the fish and you talked about the birds. One of the artists that sprung to mind with the birds um, in Otto Blotter was Charlie Harper, and I was going to ask you about that. And then I saw this book behind you <laughs> on your bookshelf. <laughs> Tell me about Charlie Harper and how you relate to his work.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I came across Charlie Harper quite late on. Really, I'd been doing similar things. Sort of graphic style-wise, where you reduce, you know, like a fish down to down to a simple circle or triangle or a square, and then fit in as little detail as possible, but to retain the character of that particular creature. Mm. And yeah, and I, and I came across his work, and I was just just bowled over. And I said, "Well, I may as well give up now because he's <laughs> he's done all the things that I might want to do in the future, and it's just been done. Why bother?" I tend not to look at his work too much because I don't want to be informed by what he does, but it naturally creeps in.
0: It was really the shapes of the birds and things in the Otto book that made me think, you know, how you captured the essence of particular kinds of birds by reducing them to this shape. I just thought it was really interesting. Yeah,
1: I I, I do wonder if some of it comes from just being a little bit lazy and just not wanting (laughs) to do the whole, you know, study of the form of the bird let's just draw a triangle instead and see if i can get a get away with it
0: (laughs) yeah but the triangle is all different for different kinds of birds it's you know a swan is very different to a wren or a robin (laughs) well they're gorgeous books both of them and I, i suppose my final question really for you graham is what have we got to look forward to next
1: it's a tricky one because I'm a bit torn at the moment as to whether or not I'm going to do more children's books. I I believe I will, but it's just trying to get the timing right because I'm one of these people that just likes to try different things and do different things, whether it's commercial illustration or printmaking or sculpture or bookmaking. You know, I've just set myself all these different goals. At the moment, I've done a book by another writer, so I've, I've illustrated a text based on the mars rover called good good night oppie so yeah we'll, we'll see where that goes but yeah so that's the next book release in terms of the next project i don't really know i've been doing a few commissions lately based on the 3d work
0: great i think maybe a picture book you mentioned a picture book possibly with the 3D work,
1: yeah, it's. I think there's lots of possibilities with that. Um, with how you light things as well, could it, bring
0: in a photography element.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. it'd be nice to work with a photographer on that. On that score, so it, you know, it's all about finding the right project, I suppose.
0: Oh, I'm just going to drop fairy tale in there because I can see that working for different fairy tales, personally.
1: That would be great. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> yes, it's, it's the first thing that came to my mind when I was thinking in those terms. So could possibly be brilliant
0: well thank you honestly thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today
1: thank you nikki yeah it's been been really great great. in the reading corner is presented by nikki gamble and produced by Alison hughes if you have enjoyed this podcast please do leave a review for us to find out about other projects including an audience with events and the exploring children's literature summer school visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.